Hey, how's it going, everybody? You're listening to a very special episode of the Super Mercado Brothers Video Game Music Podcast. Thanks for joining us, everyone. This is the podcast where we share and discuss the very best in video game music. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm Will Brueggemann. We're really excited to unveil a new category of episode Mm -hmm. on our podcast today. Ever since our 500th episode, which at this point was a couple years ago, we've sort of changed the format of our show. We switched to being every other week instead of every week. And one of the reasons we wanted to do this is we wanted to adopt a little bit more of a non-uniform format. We've had so much fun over the past few years trying our best to share not just different categories of music and different types of ways of looking at video game music and a lot of the wonderful communities in the VGM scene but also finding different ways of analyzing music. And this is something that is really meant to solve kind of a problem that we've encountered since the early days of this podcast, which is that so many of the best classic video game soundtracks, particularly the ones from the 80s and even into the early 90s, if you think about a lot of like the great NES games or Mm -hmm. Commodore, Amiga games, the soundtracks are fantastic, but they're so incredibly brief. Mm-hmm. There, there's maybe only like three to five pieces of music that you could actually really talk about in an episode. Yeah, there's a lot of scores like that where we've been excited to focus on them for a long time, but we didn't know how to do it because they're short, they're too short for one episode. So we're like, oh, do we combine it and have two scores on one episode? Then we thought of this idea. So what are we calling this, Will? So this is going to be called a short score. Essentially, it is what it says. This is going to be a type of episode where we focus on short scores. And so I think these episodes will probably be somewhere in between the style of our, you know, traditional Mercado classic episode, Mm -hmm. albeit briefer, and something like the deep dive episodes where we spend a lot of time just focusing on one particular piece of music. This is mostly going to be for examples where there's a handful of tracks, two or three, five, maybe even up to like nine Mm -hmm. um, because the soundtracks are short, we can go into the music in a little bit more depth. This is a new format that we're exploring, and I think it'll also be a little bit soundtrack dependent. Uh, for the inaugural one of these, I couldn't think of a better example than the 1987 NES game by Hal Air Fortress. Will sun the praises of the score for years. Fans of the podcast definitely know this title. The composer of Air Fortress, Hideki Kanazashi, is an under-celebrated 8-bit legend. He worked for HAL Laboratories from 1984 to 1991, where he composed music for games like Eggerland, Mock Rider, Othello, and Adventures of Lolo. One of the reasons that Kanazashi isn't a household name, even among old-school VGM fans, is that he almost always worked under different aliases. While that was not an uncommon practice of early Japanese game composers, Hideki's habit of using different names on each project makes him a uniquely enigmatic figure in the world of game music. His musical choices are similarly enigmatic. While Air Fortress is predominantly classical or film score-like in nature, many of his game scores incorporate elements of jazz, rock, and Latin music. He used to work alongside Hiroaki Suga, who would be responsible for the implementation of Kanazashi's early work at HAL. But in 1986, the employees developed a custom music macro language that allowed him to be more hands-on with the implementation. 
It's possible that Kanazashi's unique methods of arranging the pulse and triangle channels on the NES stems from his initial inexperience with the programming side of it, combined with you know, his clear sense of taste and his musical ear as a composer. Part of the charm of NES music in the 80s was the simplicity of the compositions and the arrangements. The programming and composition of early NES music had just not reached the level of complexity and polish of things like Super C, Journey to Silius, or even Mario 3. Yeah. Often the scores of this era featured much less music than we would come to expect even just a few years later. Mm -hmm. While Air Fortress is in many ways a typical example of this kind of simpler, sparser score, it is quite atypical in its cohesiveness, ambition, and execution. Mm -hmm. There's a stylistic consistency through throughout the score that I think is especially unique. If you think about something like Super Mario World or Mario 64, where it's almost like there's one theme song and all of the stage themes are doing that song in a different genre style. Right. Air Fortress really explores the concept of theme and variations in a more classical sense, where all of the music exists within the same idiom, but it's really developed musically, where maybe sort of the harmonic ideas of the main theme are hinted at lightly, right. but expanded in different ways throughout the stage theme, and um, we explore different, you know, rhythmic ways of varying ideas, and it's it's so subtle and nuanced for a game from 1987. It's pretty wild. Like other games of its era, a lot of its music is comprised of jingles, stingers, and miniatures. Today, though, our emphasis will be on the five full-length pieces in the game's score. Well, I think the best way to dive into this conversation is to play the first piece. It's the title theme from Air Fortress. Let's take a listen. listening to the title theme from Air Fortress. And like Will said before, it's composed by Hideki Kanazashi, not a household name. I think Will's going to get into maybe a little bit of more info about that composer. But yeah, this piece of music, oh wow, I can see why you were so excited. It must have been on some show and tell years ago when you discovered this. I had never really heard of this game or score, but I can see why you were so excited. I mean, this music really reminds me of you, Will. It's it's actually very rare in this era that we had this type of exciting, rousing, like 
classical film music on the NES. There's a couple of examples I can think of, but not exactly how it all comes together like in Air Fortress. So I totally understand why, you know, you were so excited about it and why it really is a very unique score. Love this theme. Yeah, I think something that's so unique about Kanazashi's approach in this game is that, you know, I think it's very common on the NES where we'll focus on how strong the central idea is, meaning really the melody and the relationship between the melody and the bass and the, all of the elements of the arrangement, you know, the groove, the sparse three voice sort of arrangement is meant to kind of imply and spark your imagination mm -hmm. to think of a larger ensemble. And I think this accomplishes that. Yet I think the nature of the writing in Air Fortress, it's so composed thoughtfully for these three voices. Really, there's almost nothing to be added because the counterpoint here, the relationship between all three of the voices is so sublimely constructed that there's like no room for anything else. If you were going to teach a course on how to write NES music, I think this would be one of the scores you would absolutely touch on. Yeah. The melodies are so strong, and yes, you could extrapolate it, you could do really good arrangements of this music. However, it's it really shines, it sings and soars. It's a really unique kind of rousing NES score that I just can't think of anything else quite like it. This title theme is the centerpiece of the score to Air Fortress. It's an ambitious and filmic march that feels every bit as rousing and symphonic as the best orchestral film scores of the 80s. It begins with a heraldic fanfare that sets the tone and harmonic style of the game and then builds to a march section where the principal melody is presented. For a short, loopable piece of VGM from the 80s, there's quite a nice bit of contrast rhythmically in terms of pacing while remaining in a relatively specific place harmonically. Part of what makes the writing here so delightful is how Hideki Kanazashi incorporates a sense of counterpoint to the three pitched voices of the NES. The melody itself is clear and memorable, but the other lines function independently as well and have their own sense of musical interest, as well as smooth and elegant voice leading. While Kanazashi is far from the only 8-bit composer to boast impressive classical chops, this taste for counterpoint and voice leading is so sophisticated upon analysis, yet it also seems as though it's been reduced to the bare essential elements. One notable characteristic of this track is the unlikely way Kanazashi uses the triangle channel. Unlike the vast majority of NES music, here the triangle isn't just used for that iconic, boomy, and resonant bass sound, but often as the middle voice of the texture. I believe this gives a noticeable contrast from the top-line melody while emphasizing its independence and counter-melodic function. It also lends a sort of richness to the sonority of chords that gives a prominence to the second pitch in the stack. In less thoughtful or capable hands, this could honestly come across as unbalanced and awkward, yet these compositions are constructed to feature that middle voice of the texture in situations that are resonant and beautiful in the triangle.
When the march section begins and our main theme is presented, the melody and countermelody outline a distinctly filmic chord progression that seems to express a feeling of wonder, melancholy, and heroism. It begins with our tonic chord of D major, then seems to imply the Lydian mode, moving to a major chord built on the second scale degree. That raised sharp fourth in the melody that implies E major rather than minor resolves down to the natural fourth, implying a diatonic four chord, which is quickly restated as minor, a minor four chord, that major four to minor four sound is a melancholic technique common to lots of classic pop music and film music. We've called it out plenty of times before on this podcast. Now, this particular progression all functions over a pedal bass, which is something we hear in a lot of chord progressions, meaning that throughout all of these chord changes, the bass note is still staying the same. It's still our tonic chord. This is all the more impressive when you consider that, you know, there's only ever three notes at once. So it's the specific nature of how the melody and counter melody move that imply these more complicated chord progressions. This particular progression can be found all over the place in early game music because it doesn't require anything beyond three-part triadic harmony, but it has such an immediate and striking set of emotional changes. That wistful Lydian shift on the two chord to the more noble four major shifting to the heartbreak of the four minor is a powerful emotional journey all in just a few brief moments. I think it's particularly striking here because it's the melody that's actually informing us of the most colorful tones in this progression. I love the marching snare pattern in the noise channel. It has just enough variety to feel organic and integral to the piece as it progresses. In the B section, Kanazashi's use of counterpoint continues, trading off melodic energy from the lead square to the triangle during moments of melodic pause. Again, all of the voice leading is impeccable, and its use of implied functional harmony is classically pure with not a note out of place. To me, this is the sort of piece of music I could listen to over and over again and never grow tired of. It has that balance of simple, accessible elements in the melody, harmony, rhythms, and form while providing so much nuance and detail in the actual musical engineering of how it's composed and arranged. It sets a tone that feels like a rousing film score on your NES. It's the sort of effect that sparks your imagination and would make early video games feel like proper epics in their own right. Let's play the next piece of music that we're both going to discuss. It is Entering Fortress. And like Will said, the music that we're talking about today features a lot of theme and variation. So that was the main theme that we just heard. Let's see what this composer does with Entering Fortress. Thank you. 
So exciting, so unique. This is Entering Fortress from Air Fortress. Wow. First of all, there's not a lot of NES tracks that are in seven, and especially not that have a very cohesive, consistent, exciting orchestral filmic score. The writing is is just as strong as what he established in the main theme. It's very specific and exciting, and it, it feels very full, even though there's a small number of voices. Well, in contrast from that anthemic title theme and all its 8-bit contrapuntal glory, <laughs> this track is relatively sparse. It's repetitive and restrained. Most of the time, it's only using two notes at once, utilizing the second square for that detuned doubling to create a more complex timbre. Mm -hmm. Anytime composers on the NES could get away with a two-voice idea, it was preferred because you left more room for simultaneous sound effects and would reduce the irritating interruptions to the music that would often occur when music and sounds overlap. Yeah. I also think that the sparser nature of the stage music helps to differentiate it from the thematic pieces at the beginning and end of the game. The way Hideki accentuates the ends of phrases by briefly reintroducing three-part harmony in these planing major chords evokes the writing and orchestration of John Williams scores like Star Wars, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Superman. I've heard NES scores where there's a really solid main theme and they try variations and they're kind of throwaways. These variations, there's a lot to discuss. It's really well done. Right, and they're very lightly variations. They're almost variations on a stylistic motif, you mm -hmm. know, that march rhythm. And it really feels like Kanazashi here is trying to depict flight in almost in a painterly style with the melody having ascending notes or even the use of triplets as almost like a propeller mm -hmm. motion. I think this sort of odd meter thing creates this interesting lilt that makes you feel almost like the pressures of gravity pulling this thing down and fighting against that. I think it's a really interesting approach. And like you're saying, Carl, there's something really distinct about a piece of music in this style. I mean, the music is in that sort of almost like British orchestral tradition, mm -hmm. composers like Elgar. And the fact that he can maintain that approach, not just for the title theme and for the you know, sort of tentpole moments, but for a track like this that's meant to conjure up a different emotion, yet he's not violating that idiom. We're still in that same harmonic landscape. It still sounds like kind of classic March film music, very much like John Williams or something. It's, you know, it's crazy because I don't think this is a super popular game, but it's really one of the best examples of this type of music on the NES, going for this exciting filmic sound. I agree. So the next stage theme we're gonna hear is Entering Air Space. Let's take a listen. listening to Entering Air Space, and it's another really exciting variation. It's subtle. I mean, most people listening to the score aren't going to know really, oh, are these variations? Um, they're all very different, 
but they share a lot. There's a lot that's in common between all this music. I love the rhythms, the percussion. Basically, it's evoking a marching snare drum in most of this music. If you were to extrapolate this, you would probably have other percussion elements like timpani and bass drum and crash cymbals and things like that. There's a tense quality to the actual level themes, like sometimes a little scary. But yeah, again, just really outstanding writing for the NES. I really think that you could, it would be weird, but you could teach a course on how to write NES music. And this would definitely be something that you could point to. It's, it's just really inventive stuff. Again, we get such a sense of variety in this music without reneging on the idiom that Kanazashi has chosen for the score. This track is a more direct quote of the title theme, main melody, but harmonized in a minor modality. Like the last track, his arrangement here is sparser than the title theme, while leaving just enough moments of dazzling musical spectacle to join the whole score together. But doesn't this get a lot of mileage? Like, if you were to play this game for hours and you only heard these, you know... Very few longer pieces of music, other than the jingles, there's just a few long form pieces of music. You would not get sick of it. It's going to last a long time. I love the moments of dual squares and harmony. That sound, while iconic to the NES, is not really a big part of the music to Air Fortress. And even here, Kanazashi's writing makes it just a bit more specific and unique than the norm. The way the middle voice switches between parallel motion, contrary motion, and stillness from the top line is unmistakably classical, just like the rest of the score. For a game in 1987 to have such a consistent musical aesthetic, uh, I, I can't think of really another example. I mean, there's other examples of great, classic, catchy NES soundtracks of the era. Um, but this is going for something so mature and kind of nuanced, and it's not necessarily flashy, but it gives you the feeling of a really rich, sophisticated, old Hollywood like film score, something it does. swashbuckling. And the, his commitment to that, I think, makes the game feel all the more polished and significant. I imagine at the time that was definitely the effect. Let's move on to Destroyed Power Reactor. Really good piece of music again. When this starts, this is Destroyed Power Reactor. It reminds me of a lot of other NES music. Um, you know, and actually I was worried because uh, it at the very beginning, I was like, oh no, is this going to be bad? Because there's a lot of bad NES music that's trying to be atmospheric and creepy and starts with just... Almost like this, like triangle Morse code. Um, but no, you continue to be in good hands throughout the score. It's very vibey. I mean, it's hard to get this level of atmosphere on the NES. So, this is incredibly impressive that this was possible. And the reason why it was possible is because the writing is, is just as strong. In addition to the decidedly atmospheric tone of the composition, this track actually incorporates attempts at ambient sound design, using the noise channel to evoke the whirring of the overheated reactor core. 
the nature of this arpeggio, like the rest of Hideki Kanazashi's choices, is perplexing, unexpected, and rendered with the highest degree of taste and elegance. Carl is totally right that this type of track is close to a sort of moody, cliché sound in 8-bit music, but the uniquely chromatic nature of this arpeggio makes it just surprising enough, just unexpected enough, without crossing the boundaries of taste or feeling like such a departure from the musical style of the game up until this point. If you were going to teach a course on atmospheric 8-bit writing, this would be a wonderful piece to explore. Yeah, and I think something that's great about the early NES games is there is that quality. I mean, you think of like The Legend of Zelda. It reminds me of Metroid. Yeah, yeah. Zelda, or Metroid, Metroid yeah. where there's like, you only have a few pieces of music to make this impact. How are you going to make it varied? How are you going to make it memorable? The last really big piece of music that we're going to focus on today is the ending from Air Fortress. Let's take a listen. this track is the pinnacle of Kanazashi's writing in Air Fortress. It alludes to many of the melodic phrases and motifs of the main theme, while evoking a pomp and circumstance fitting for the finale. I find it interesting he chose a triplet-based subdivision for the opening track in 16th note subdivisions here, another way he uses rhythms and unique musical changes to achieve theme and variation without changing the underlying genre. This track is distinct from the title theme, though, in that its march rhythm is continuous. It begins with this introductory build. Harmonically, it's implying a 4 over 5, a kind of slash chord where the bass note seems to belong to a different chord than the rest of the harmony. This particular slash chord has a sense of wonder and excitement to it. It's commonly substituted for a more typical dominant chord or suspended chord on the fifth scale degree. The A section features sort of a VGM staple, chromatically descending chord progression. Though in this case, a lot of that chromatic descent doesn't just happen in the bass line. Again here, Hideki is going so much further than his contemporaries in terms of the voice leading and counterpoint. The rhythmic energy from the melody transfers from voice to voice, allowing the top line to pause while the middle line moves and vice versa. The chord progression ends with an interesting approach to the half cadence, the flat three to four to five. It kind of reminds me of Alan Silvestri's Back to the Future theme, and I'm certain that this was the exact kind of filmic reference point that Kanazashi was evoking. The B section feels somewhere between classical and old Broadway harmony, the kind of thing Koji Kondo does so well in Mario and Zelda games. 
Again though, Kanazashi's use of triangle as the middle voice of the texture gives unique emphasis to the meticulous construction of that chromatic inner line. We get a wonderfully prepared modulation implying the key of E flat, but just as soon as Kanazashi teases it, we elegantly return to a cadence in our home key of G major, where he sets up this wonderful third section that incorporates melodic elements from the main theme's B section, but with this martial, heroic presentation. With a final filmic cadence of the flat six, flat seven to one, we repeat back to the top of the B section, taking that dazzling but brief expedition to the world of E flat, and back to another statement of this rousing third section. Finally, the flat six, flat seven cadence is elongated with a full measure for each chord before the piece ends naturally and elegantly with our tonic triad, G major. In a register and timbre that evokes a string section, while this piece has some internal repetition, it doesn't have a simple, symmetrical loop, and the music is so nimble and varied, it has the scope and polish of a proper classical march. Absolutely delightful. The ending to Air Fortress. And again, all this music today was composed by Hideki Kanazashi. And this, almost more than anything, will reminds me of your music. I'm sure this was influential to ending themes you've written. I mean, I wonder if it was influential to even some uh, Hero of Legend ending themes uh, that you've written. Uh, I just hear this sound and this style and this spirit in a lot of your music. Um, and, you know, I totally understand, again, why you were so excited when you first discovered Air Fortress, because there's a lot of exciting, rousing NES ending themes. But again, there's just not quite one like this as far as how maybe he's combining some of the things you talked about with classical music, film music, but making it feel comfortable and full on the NES. Wow. I mean, it's really impressive. Killer piece of music. Completely agree. Yeah, I've said this before, but Air Fortress was the primary inspiration for me making that album Super Star Squadron that I did with Carlos. Totally. Um, and that album, you know, ended up being more varied in terms of style and the arrangements, you know, it used FDS. So it was it, it wasn't quite as strict to this era and this limitation. Yeah. And and I totally agree with you that it's so underrated. Like there needs to be a lot more love and praise for Air Fortress for sure. While in many ways Air Fortress is a product of its time. It's also ahead of its time. It has that great juxtaposition. While it is a sparse, simple score, mostly composed of jingles and a few simple, short, loopable pieces of video game music, it has a stylistic consistency that would be unique of NES games 10 years later. It has this sense of maturity and restraint that set it apart from anything else at the time. And upon looking on it now, decades later, I frankly find it so cool to celebrate the work of this enigmatic, under-discussed composer, Hideki Kanazashi, who almost seemed like he went out of his way to disguise his own identity. Like so many great video game composers of that generation, it was really the imagination and wonder, the magic of creating music for this game that could have international reach that seemed to be driving so many of these folks. And I have to hope and imagine that somewhere 
Kanazashi would be happy that the score that he made for a video game in 1987 um, would be getting this sort of musical analysis all these years later. Man, this was such a fun, short exploration on this short but amazing score, Air Fortress. Uh, Thanks for joining us for this initial episode type. We look forward to doing more short score episodes. We have a lot of ideas. There's so many great ones out there. Uh, So yeah, this was a lot of fun. Very different episode, but I really had a good time. Yeah, and something what's cool is since Air Fortress is is really brief, we can dig in a little bit more into the weeds, into specific pieces of music and, you know, talk about them, analyze them musically. But, you know, there are some scores out there where it's like, you know, there's 12 tracks. And so it's not as much as we would normally do for an episode. But I think we've sort of decided in this, you know, new era of our show, we're okay with episodes being 20 minutes, 30 minutes or two hours. Any length is fine, all commit to a specific format so i definitely know there's a lot of great nes games well thanks so much for joining us everyone we hope you enjoyed this episode i think that's about it we're gonna play out with a prototype title screen that kanazashi wrote for an fds port of air fortress a few years later it's kind of a cool gem and it keeps the spirit of the score alive my name is carl brueggemann and i'm will brueggemann have a great week everybody peace out